Well, thank you, Epley's, and thank you, Pastor. And isn't it wonderful to be here tonight? It is a wonderful thing, and I always love to hear the Epley's sing. As you know, they're faithful members of my church, and I agree with Dr. Tom Malone, though. He said, the most wonderful things happen just before I get up to preach. <laughs> but after hearing the Epley sing, I'm surprised you'd really want to hear me sing. I feel like the fellow who got the job at the zoo, you may have heard of him. He knew nothing about animals, but he needed a job. And he asked the zookeeper, what do you want me to do? He said, I know nothing about animals. I wasn't raised on a farm. I was raised, and I was sure wasn't raised where exotic animals grow. I was raised in the city. He said, well, no problem. Our gorilla died. He said, what's that got to do with me? He said, well, we've got a gorilla suit, and we want you to be our gorilla. And this man said, you have got to be kidding. He said, no, we're not kidding. He said, we need a gorilla. Would you be the gorilla? And he said, well... He said, I'd laugh at you and leave, but I need a job, so I'll take it. And he put this gorilla suit on. And it was a large area where they had a tree cut off, and the, and the steel mesh wire was over this large dome area, and there he sat in this gorilla outfit. And the mothers and daddies would come by with the little children, and the children would laugh and throw peanuts at the gorilla. And he just sat there. He had a bad attitude about his job. Well, finally, he got to thinking, you know, if I'm going to be a gorilla, I might as well entertain the children. So the next time a group of children came by, he climbed the tree and he got out on a limb and he began to swing. Oh, the children were entertained and they laughed and they pointed and they cheered for the gorilla. And everything was going well till this group of children marched on and the limb broke and he fell in the lion's pit. And when he hit the, hit the bottom of the lion's pit, he looked over there and there was a, uh, looked like a, a 800 pound male lion. I mean, the mane on that thing was four and a half feet across. And he thought, oh, my soul, that thing's gonna wake up and eat me up. And so he thought, I'll get the attention of a zookeeper somewhere. And so he said, help. But nobody came. Nobody heard him. So he said, help. And still nobody came. And he looked over at that lion. And he could see his sides going in and out. And so he thought, he's going to wake up. And he, nobody came by and he said, help! And the lion yawned real big and stretched. And it was all that this man's nerves could take. And so he said, help! The lion rolled over and said, I tell you, if you don't shut up, we're all going to lose our jobs around this place. <laughs> and... uh that was quite a zoo, buddy, I'll tell you. Quite a zoo. And I, sometime when I hear the Epley sing just before I preach, I think to myself, I'm going to lose my job if they don't shut up. They're, they're doing so well. And the honest truth is, Brother Steve Epley and his family are not only good singers, they're good Christians. And not only that, but Brother Steve Epley is a good preacher. He, he's a good preacher. Honest he is. And not only that, I hear your pastor's a good preacher. And I love his enthusiasm. He has enough dignity to be real dead and dry, but he has enough enthusiasm to be uh, a backwoods South Carolina uh, camp meeting preacher, doesn't he? He's a good combination. He really is. And uh, he's got the enthusiasm of a country boy, and he's got the personality of a city slicker. Now, that's a, quite a combination. I'm telling you, I myself am a country boy. I, that's just what I am. Uh, you can tell that I'm so countryfied. I'm like that boy down in Kentucky, Brother Steve. 
officer pulled him over, and he walked up to the window, and he said, Sir, do you have any ID? The old country boy said, About what? <laughs> he didn't have much ID about anything. Um, but anyway, he was countryfied up in West Virginia. One of those, uh, I-77, I run that every time I go to North Carolina home. And uh, an old country fella had always run those pig paths in his old 51 Ford truck. He had never been on I-77. He'd come off of the ramp, and when he did, he came on I-77 and sideswiped the big town car. And the salesman jumped out. He was mad as fire. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. He said, hey, you old codger, didn't you see that sign? It said, yield. He said, I yield at you three times, and you wouldn't move over. <laughs> he was country fight. Somebody was telling me that a lady saw one up there on those pig paths in West Virginia. And, uh, and Brother Steve was just there last week in West Virginia. But uh, it said that uh, this old boy had been up there to a steal. And instead of delivering, he was drinking while he was delivering. He came around the curve and lost it and said, that thing did about three flips and slammed up right vertical against the tree. A lady jumped out and said, sir, have you been drinking? He said, yeah, what do you think? I am a stunt driver or something. And so they, they're country boys up there. So far back in, you have to pipe the sunshine in and the moonshine out. Country people. West, my mother was from West Virginia. We know the toothbrush was invented in West Virginia. You know how I know? If it had been anywhere else, it had been teeth brush. So it was West Virginia tooth brush. You get it? Yeah. Oh, they're countryfied. And uh, Bubba called the funeral home and said, Emma Sue just passed away. She just died. Could you come and get her? She said, yes, sir, we will. What is your address? He said, 102 Eucalyptus Street. She said, um, could you spell that for me? There was a long silence. And he said, ma'am, if I drag her over to Oak Street, could you pick her up over there and <clears throat> we'll get her on Oak Street? I'm a country boy and uh, I'm country fried. I like my country fried. I like my chicken fried. Do you ever occur to you most folks have to get drunk to have as much fun as we're having? And, that, and we don't have to get drunk and we don't have to wake up in the morning. Uh, feeling bad about who we were with and what we were doing, we can wake up in the morning and feel real good about where we... And we don't have to make a fool out of ourselves. Two drunks coming up a railroad track one night. And one, they'd walked a railroad track so long, they didn't know who they were, where they were, where they came from, or where they were going. And it was pitch black. It had no flashlight. And they're walking those railroad ties. And one said to the other, there's more stair steps in this place than any place I've ever been in my life. The other said, I can take the stair steps. It's these low handrails killing me. I can't take it. And, uh, but anyhow, fella pulled a man over one time, was running a little over the speed limit. The officer walked up beside the car, and when he did, he saw nine long daggers laying in the back seat. Long, sharp daggers. Gives any police officer reason to ask questions. He said, sir, you like knives? Oh, I like knives. I like daggers. He said, uh, <clears throat> what do you do with your daggers? He said, I juggle them. I work for a circus and I juggle them. He said, you juggle them. Yeah, I juggle them. Juggle all of them. Juggle all of them. All at one time. Yes, sir, I juggle all of them at one time. By now the officer believes he's got a real quack on his hands. And so he's going to find out where, where all those daggers are going. He said, uh, sir, would you step out of your car? And he did. He said, get your dagger. He opened the back door and took his nine long daggers in his hand. He said, do it. If you can juggle all nine of them at one time, do it. He said, well, officer, stand back. And he did. And he started throwing those daggers in the air. 
And he had all nine of those things in the air at one time. The dude was on the level. He really did. He worked in a circle. It had all nine of those sharp daggers in there at one time, catching them, throwing them up, and not cutting his hand. Officer was standing there just grinning like a mule-eating sawbrass. He couldn't believe it. He was just watching him. And while he's watching this, this two-lane highway, open country highway, and um, a man swished by, he and his wife, middle-aged couple, and they saw that man standing out there throwing those daggers in the air, and that officer standing there grinning, watching him. And as they went by, the man said to his wife, You know, honey, I'm glad I quit drinking years ago. I don't believe I could have passed that test. Honest, I don't. I really don't. And uh, we don't have to make a fool out of it. Somebody was telling me the other day, Brother Steve, and it blessed my gizzard. He was telling me about... <laughs> I got somebody who hears my fan. Who I don't know. If I find her, she's going back with Rachel and I. She, well, I'm taking her back to our church. But anyway, somebody was telling me about a fellow was in a downtown area. It might have been Milwaukee, I don't know. It was a downtown area, and he was a witness for the Lord, some kind of Pentecostal guy. Had a whole lot more zeal than, than knowledge, you know, but boy, he was witnessing for the Lord. And he stepped in. There were city buses pulling up, and they were filling up. He just stepped up on, on this bus, and he said, Everybody on this bus is going to hell. And there was a drunk in the back of the bus. It scared him to death. He stood up and said, Oh, God. I'm on the wrong bus, sure as the world. <laughs> I tell you, if you're on the bus going to hell, you're on the wrong bus, amen? Hey, by the way, you know what this is? This is April Fool's Day. This is April the 1st down in North Carolina years ago. In North Carolina years ago, the atheists petitioned the state house. They said, it's high time that we quit discriminating against elements of our society. Every one of the major holidays that we get off work is Christian in nature. There's... Easter and uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving and all of these holidays that are Christmas. There ought to be something for the atheist. And a conservative Republican legislator agreed with him to the shock and amazement of everybody. And he stood up somberly and he said, I agree, they've been discriminated long enough. We need to set aside a special holiday just for the atheist. And I recommend April the 1st. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And I'd, how many vote for April the 1st for the atheist? I think that'd be a good one. I, I really do. I want to thank you for everything you have done for me while I've been here. It's been wonderful. I've been given a tour of downtown. Uh, I've been taken to Culver's last night, and I did real good as long as I was on that great big uh, sandwich, grilled chicken sandwich. But when I got that uh, uh, pecan sundae with caramel, and that whipped cream and that cherry. And I sat there and ate it all. I crossed the line. And at 2.30, excuse me, 3.30 this morning, I woke up and I had a stomach ache. And I thought, I'll take one of my Shackley uh, calcium tablets. They work just like a Tums or Rolaids. But I didn't have any. And I thought, well, maybe I've got some Rolaids. And I was rambling around through, uh, uh, 3.30 this morning trying to find a Rolaid. And uh, my little flashlight trying to keep from waking Rachel up. And I was rambling around. I couldn't find a Rolaid. I couldn't find a Shackley calcium tablet. And my stomach kept, oh, it was hurting. Acid indigestion, stomach distress. And uh, so I got dressed. And I went down to the main desk. And I said, sir, i got to have some Rolaids. He said, well, check the machine. There was none in the machine. I came back. I said, sir, you got to have a Rolaid. I said, my stomach's hurting. He said, well, let me check the medicine cabinet. I'm not supposed to give you anything out of the medicine cabinet, but I'll check. He came back and said, I don't have anything. 
And I said, well, okay. So I got the car and I took off. At 3.30 this morning, I found a place, got me some Rolaids. I came back about 4.30. I got in the bed. Preacher's supposed to pick me up. And then I couldn't go to sleep till 5. And preacher's going to pick me up at 7. I woke up five times between 5 and 7. Kept looking at the clock. I'm a high-strung man. My daddy was that way. I got it from him. And uh, so, anyway, um, I didn't get much sleep. And uh, then I spent the afternoon walking around through the dome and then with the preacher touring downtown. And when I get this way, I get hyper. And I preach a long time. Uh, but anyway, uh, I want to thank you for the wonderful room. I stay in motels everywhere. And this is a nice motel. This is no Motel 6 or Super 8. This is a beautiful, large room with two large double beds. And I want to thank you for giving a beautiful fruit basket, large bottle of wine. I want to thank you for... I'm just kidding about that. Uh, but I, I no wine. Just kidding. For you visitors, I want to tell you there's no wine. We don't believe in that. And... Uh, Acts chapter number 20. Is that what I told you to turn to? Talking about wine, Raymond Barber got up here doing a series on the book of Daniel. <laughs> and he said, and he told his congregation to get up one Wednesday night. He said, everybody turn to Jack Daniel's chapter number nine. And then he said, I realized what I'd done. He said, it didn't bother me so bad that I'd made a mistake. He said, what bothered me was I had four deacons trying to find it. That's what really bothered me. But anyhow, Acts chapter number 20. Now, here is a message the pastor has never heard, but he requested because he heard something about it. And um, I think his wife wrote a book, read, wrote a book, read a book uh, that had the, a copy of this sermon in it. And uh, so here it is. Now, he asked me about this sermon. He said, what about that sermon? Could you preach it? I said, well, I'll pray about it. Last night, you heard him get up and he said, now, if the pastor continues and he preaches what he's going to preach tomorrow night, you'll like it. Well, he's never heard it. He don't know whether he's going to like it or not. Matter of fact, he don't know whether he's going to like it. Matter of fact, in places, he's not going to like it because I'm going to be preaching to him. Where'd you go, preacher? There you are. <laughs> uh, and uh, before this sermon's over, he's going to have question about whether he, he really likes it or not. But at any rate, here is a message. If I could preach one message in a church, that I felt like the church could benefit from when I'm gone, it'd be this message. It's not necessarily my most dynamic sermon. It's not necessarily um, a, a, a good sermon, necessarily, or a fancy sermon, and certainly not a deep sermon. But it is a message that somebody else could preach easier than the pastor. And I want to bring you a message from Acts chapter number 20 and verse number 28. Everybody stand, please. Stand up as we read the Bible. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to preach. I'll tell you what to do. I'm going to preach till I get done, and then I'll quit. I'll quit. And don't laugh. I've heard a lot of preachers get done, and they didn't quit. And you heard them too, hadn't you? They got done, but they didn't quit. And then I had a, heard a few that never got started. So i got to get started here. Acts chapter number 20 and verse number 28. Take heed, therefore, and I want you to look look carefully at the Scriptures, the Apostle Paul is speaking. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, he's talking to the pastors now, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. 
two or three things you need to see in this scripture. First of all, we are the, we pastors are the overseers of the flock. We are not the dictators. We're not the lords over God's heritage. We're not the priests. We're not the pope. We don't get their prayers answered for them. We do not resolve their sins. We do not, we do not answer to God for them, but we answer to God for ourselves for how we lead them, how we feed them, and how we take care of them. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, watch what he said, to feed the church of God, which he, meaning God, hath purchased with his own what? So whose blood was that shed, according to this verse on Calvary's cross? Jesus Christ. But what is Jesus Christ called? Jesus Christ is not named here in the verse. What reference? God. Feed the church of who? God. Which he hath purchased with his own blood. So who is that now that shed their blood on Calvary's cross? God. So that person dying on that cross was who? God. So who does that make Jesus? God. And that makes Jehovah's Witness real nervous right there. Just real nervous. The one who shed his blood was God. His name was Jesus. And he's called God here. And he shed his blood on Calvary's cross. Notice verse 29. For I know this. Now Paul is saying to this church, he says, I know some things. Now there's some things we hope's true. There's some things we suspect is true, and there's a few things we know is true. Now, here's what Paul said he knew was true. For I know this. He didn't say, I, I think this might happen. But he said, I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Can you imagine a church that the apostle Paul had founded and pastored, and yet wolves getting in? If a wolf can get in a church he founded and pastored, a wolf can get in a church that I founded and pastored. And a wolf can get in a church that you pastored for years too, preacher. And not only that, here's the scary part, pastor. The Bible says, Paul said, I know this. Sooner or later, sooner or later, wolves are going to come. And I'm so glad tonight of what the pastor told me. I will not allow the pastor to tell me about any problem. I usually say, Pastor, if you have any problems in the church, don't tell me. I don't want to know about it. Uh, but before I could say anything, he said, Brother Brown, far as I know, we don't have a problem in the church. And I'm so glad you don't. Because this message is worth a whole lot more as preventative medicine than it is as corrective medicine. Churches can be destroyed with this sermon if you're in the midst of a wolf attack. I'm so glad, and I preached it where they had wolves on the attack. I've done that. And, uh, but, but boy, I don't like that. I'd rather preach it as preventative medicine. And so tonight, here's what he said. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Watch what he said in verse 30. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Stop now, look up at me. He said two things, don't lose your place. He said two things. Number one, people are going to come in from the outside into your congregation and they're going to be wolves. That's people moving from other churches coming in here. 
Number two, he said, of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples or followers after thee. Out of your own congregation shall people rise up speaking perverse. The word perverse there means different than or opposite than or backwards from what the pastor has been leading and teaching and instructing. So he says, of your own self, and men will enter in from the outside. Uh, wolves shall enter in among you. Now notice verse 31, last verse. We're going to read this, explain, pray, and go. Therefore, watch. Therefore, watch. Get your eyes open. And remember that by the space of three... Notice the verse didn't say he's going door to door. We don't have door knocking here. We're not talking soul winning here. Now, I think you can apply the verse, but you can't interpret the verse to mean that. That's not what he says. We're not knocking on doors. He said, I cease not by the space of three years to warn everyone night and day with tears. Meaning, everyone obviously in the church cried and said for three years, I assume from different time to different time he'd preach a sermon on it. Or he'd talk to people. And he'd warn people. And he'd cry and say, the wolves are going to come in among you. And they're going to try to tear your church up. And they're going to try to destroy. And he said, therefore, remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now, let me ask you a question. If the Apostle Paul was that concerned about it and spent three years talking about wolves and warning that the wolves were coming and a church he had founded and a church he had pastored, don't you think we better say something about it tonight? Don't you think it'd be an important subject for us to uh, talk about here? And so we're going to do that tonight. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will bless us as we preach the Bible. I want to thank you, Lord, for thy word, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. And I pray, Lord Jesus, you'll show us and teach us and help us now as we preach the Bible. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. Wolves are dangerous. I, I'm, I'm enjoying my pulpit mic, but I'm, now I'm on here. All right, thank you. Wolves are dangerous. And wolves are to be avoided. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 3.14, If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note, watch me now, note that we're man and have no company with him. Romans 16.17. Watch it now. Now I beseech you, brethren, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine ye have received, and avoid them. Six different times in the five chapters before this, Paul has reference to discord, and even in one place says, and as I be falsely reported of, and that meant by people in the church. So he, when he says in Romans sixteen seventeen, now I beseech you, brethren, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine ye have received and avoid them. He's including the doctrine of discord there. And he says you ought to mark them. You need to watch them. Therefore, watch. And remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So he says mark them, watch them. This sermon is not designed to run wolves off, though it has run a few off. This sermon is not designed to keep wolves out. There's no way under God's heaven you're going to keep wolves out of your church. Jesus chose twelve and one of them was a wolf. And it's not likely you're going to exist many years without a wolf getting in your church. Most likely God in His providence is having me preach a sermon to you tonight because in the future, and it could be in the near future, you're going to be tested. But here's the good news. A wolf will never tear your church up if you know one when you see one. 
And if you understand what a wolf is, he will never, he or she, they do come in both genders, you know. He or she will never tear your church up as long as you understand what one is when you see them. Now what we're going to do tonight is try to mark wolves. We're going to put a, a brand on wolves. We're going to identify them. We're going to describe a wolf and we're going to tell you what a wolf is and how you can know one when you see one. When I preach a sermon, strange and unusual things happen. I don't know why, but on this sermon in particular, lights go out, strange sounds, wrecks happen outside, sirens go by, and sometimes and commonly people just start getting up and walking out and this, that, and the other. So I want to ask you to help me now to concentrate and pray in your heart that God will help us get through this message. Zephaniah 3.3 speaks of evening wolves. And Matthew 7.15 speaks of ravening wolves. And Acts 20.29 here in our text speaks of grievous wolves. The Zephaniah 3.3 evening wolves are the subtle wolves. Very subtle. People you would never suspect having men's persons in admiration because of advantage of your own sales. People you've admired, and sometimes people that have been in the church for years, would rise up and cause dissension and discord and be disloyal to the pastor and the leadership of the church. Evening wolves. Subtle wolves. A pastor that you know, and would know of, and I'll tell you who, I'll refer to several people after service. You ask me, and I'll tell you who all these people are. A pastor that you would know in the South, in a church that's now bumping a thousand per Sunday, I preach for him every year. Every year. I have for the last ten years, and as a matter of fact, at least once a year I preach for him. And I was preaching for him several years ago, and I said, Brother, let me ask you a question. You got the wolf problems? He said, not a once. Said the same thing to me this pastor did. He said, not a one. Everything's beautiful. I said, well, good. He said, why did you ask? I said, I just kind of feel led to preach that wolf sermon. He said, I've never heard it. Why don't you preach it? I said, well, I don't want to waste time. He said, hey, you never know when we might need it. I said, you got that right, Buster. And I said, uh, hey, what I'll do, I'll preach it. Preventative medicine. Since that time, I've seen the need to preach it anywhere that the Holy Spirit leads. Or the pastor leads. And uh, But anyway, here we go. Now, yeah, and so uh, I preached it. Little did this godly pastor know, little did his wife know, little did I know that his secretary and her deacon husband had already started making the rounds on him. Little did he know that they were subtly sowing innuendos of question and suspicion and doubt about the pastor's leadership, about the pastor's wisdom, Pastor had no idea. It was his secretary. And because she was in a position to know confidential information, she was divulging some of that, which in turn was causing question about the pastor because they were getting a one-sided view of how he was handling certain problems and things. And while I was preaching, the, the, this couple was sitting there and the people were started turning around looking at them. Because I was saying the very things they had been saying. I was describing what they had been doing so clearly, so emphatically, that people, and a lot of people got to turn around looking at them, staring at them. And they got red in the face. They were embarrassed. And within a week and a half, they mounted their horses, tipped their hats, and rode off into the sunset. 
And the pastor called me and said, Brother Brown, you saved my ministry. I said, hey, let me tell you something, brother. I didn't save your ministry. The Holy Ghost of God saved your ministry. I was just obeying the Lord. That's what I was doing. And God did save the ministry. That's the evening wolves. Matthew 7.15, the ravening wolves, the destroying wolves. A godly pastor that you would know and know of, Brother Steve, called me one time. He said, uh, Brother Brown, he said, I got a youth director that's turned on me. He's, he's speaking disloyal about me. And because he has the heart of our people, because he's the youth director and has the young people under his control, I'm afraid for the influence it'll have on the church. What should I do? I said, here's what I'd do. I'd make a beeline straight to him. I'd sit down, look him in the eyeball and say, I know what you're doing. Now, I don't always recommend this. There are times when I think it's better to pray it through and wait it out. But in this case, I said I'd make a beeline to him. I'd look him in the eyeball and say, I'll know what you're doing. And the next time you open your mouth, disloyal to me, especially as a paid staff member in this church, I'm going to go to that pulpit and I'm going to give these people the opportunity to vote you in as pastor or keep me as pastor. And I said, and I told him, I said, when you do that, you're going to lose that many families. He was running a thousand. He was averaging a thousand. I said, you're going to lose that many families right there. I said, if you don't do that, you could lose your church. He didn't do it. He waited. And that man took 28 tithing, praying, working, bus running families out of the church. Now, I don't care if you are running a thousand. You take 20. I'm talking about taught in his Christian school. I'm talking about key people. You take 28 key families. Now, we're not talking about 28 people. We're talking about uh, 50 to 100 people, key people out of a church. So you're running a thousand. That don't mean you've got a thousand backbone people. Even in a church running a thousand, you don't have over a hundred real load bearers in a church running a thousand. And, and, and he took those out. That church tonight is running 200. The pastor's been long gone. It's the shadow of the church at one time was. They were destroying wolves. And the Bible speaks of them in Matthew 7, 15. And then grievous wolves in Acts 20 and 29. I'm thinking now of so many cases. One pastor came and he said, Can I talk to you? And I said, What's up? He said, The wolves, the wolves. He'd never heard this sermon. If some years ago, I wasn't preaching this sermon then. But he said, they don't have enough guts to come to my face and ask me about something. They'll come around and knife my wife in the back, talk about me like a dog to her and criticize her. And he said, Brother Brown, what do I do? He said, I came in today and my wife had took, took a twenty-two rifle and set it right here and tried to get it to fire three times. He said, she tried to kill herself. What am I going to do? I said, I'd leave if I was you. I don't believe in running every time you have a little trouble. I don't believe in that. But I said, I want to tell you something. That church is a split off of a split off of a split. That's a splinter. And I said, that church goes through pastors like you wouldn't believe. They've had half a dozen since I've been here. And I said, they're not going to grow. They don't want to grow. They talk big about growth and standards till somebody preaches and practices growth and standards. And then they want to fight you. And I said, I'll tell you something, buddy. I wouldn't bury my wife over it. I wouldn't do it. I said, if you lose that church, you can get you another one. But if you lose your wife, you're done. I said, I wouldn't bury my wife over it. And he didn't. And he resigned. And he went to another church and has been there for years, Brother Steve, and has won literally thousands to God. And his wife was not a quack either. A good, sweet, godly, dedicated, consecrated woman that loves the Lord and has been faithful for years and separated and all that a pastor's 
uh, preacher's wife should be. Now, here's what I'm saying. I'm talking about grievous wounds. And the pastor who lost the church, whose youth director took the people out, called me and he said, pray for my wife. Good godly woman, Brother Steve. said, pray for her. She's down to bed and she can't get out of bed. Her nerves are all to pieces. Grievous wolves. Somebody has said the bees and the birds and the cows all low and hum and sing in the major chord. But a wolf always howls in the minor chord. It seems like I can hear a wolf howling now somewhere. I hear a wolf howling now far in the distance. Way far in the distance. I hear a wolf howling. There they are. Ladies and gentlemen, what you're listening to right now is the actual recorded voices of wolves, not in a zoo, but in the wild, recorded by secret microphones hidden in the wilderness. Wolves at night up in northern Canada and Alaska. These wolves are howling in the wild. And one thing above all things you'll notice in what you're listening is the discord. There is no harmony in it. And every godly pastor that ever had a wolf is feeling something right now that you cannot fear, feel. And you know what I'm going to do tonight? I'm going to blow the whistle on the wolf. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Number one, wolves have carnal appetites. Wolves have carnal appetites. If you don't want to draw up wolves, don't dump out a bunch of flesh in wolf country. Are you going to draw them up? Keep the place clean. Keep it clean. Keep the music like you've got it around here. I love your music. I love your congregational singing. I love your enthusiasm. I love your song leader. <laughs> I love your, I love your band. Man alive. Only four pieces and every one of them right on cue. I mean, listen, I'd rather have a four piece band on pitch than a twenty piece band as sour as tomorrow's prune. And I've heard them, buddy. I have heard them. I mean, this little group knows what they're doing up here. They're not just blowing smoke. They are blowing the horn, buddy. And they're blowing the flute. And they're doing a good job. And this music is enthusiastic and stirs the heart. And we thank God for it. The Epley's kind of singing and other kinds of music. Hey, keep the place clean. I also thank God for the way the young ladies were dressed. And I thank God for the way the... the Ladies are dressed in this church that come to this church. We're not talking about visitors. Good night. I don't care if you come in here with not enough clothes on to make a pair of leggings for a hummingbird. You're welcome, and we love you. And we and and uh, by the way, many of us who are saved now, we didn't come in here dressed like we're dressed either. There were times when we didn't have the standards that we have now either. Don't turn around and see somebody standing where you used to stand and shoot them. Love them. Encourage them. Take them from point A to point B. But I'm just simply saying, if you don't want to draw up a bunch of wolves, don't have a bunch of flesh in your choir, don't have a bunch of flesh on your platform, and ladies, dress right, and walk right, and live right, and talk right, this contemporary music is not putting any ham on the hog. You say, what do you mean? I mean Amy Grunt, and Fatty Patty, and Heave Green, and Andrea Grouch, and all of that junk. I'm just saying that some woman come waddling up with a dress on about three sizes too small. Rolls and gobs hanging everywhere. Come waddling up to the pulpit. So much green eyeshadow on, looks like her gallbladder's busted. 
waddles up to the pulpit and grabs a microphone and starts giving you that dreamy-eyed look, caressing the microphone, and starts singing in that breathy voice. Do you know Jesus? God have mercy! We were saved out of that kind of stuff. If we wanted that kind of music, we'd go back to the nightclub and get a whole bunch of it. We got saved out of that. He had put a new song in my heart. Even praise unto my God. Keep the place clean. Keep the place clean. Keep the place clean. I could preach a while on that. I think you could sense I could preach a while on that. Second thing about wolves is strange about them. I did a study on wolves. I came up with this. Number two, wolves love layups. You say, what's that? Well, they travel at night and they rest when the sun comes up. And when they rest, they all want to get up on a ledge overlooking everybody else. They want to be over people instead of under people. They want to rule instead of serve. They're like the Pharisees in Luke eleven forty three that love the uppermost seats. They don't want to get on a bus route and go on soul winning visitation and grab a mop and clean up vomit from some kid that threw up between Sunday school and preaching. They don't want to clean the toilets. They want to serve on a committee. Uh, they want to be on the board. Uh, they want to be in charge. Um, Pastor, uh, uh, Pastor Hoover, I just want you to know that in the last five churches I've been in, God has used me to sing. Some little old hussy come in here and, and, and inform the pastor God has used. Notice the last five she's been in. God has, I have a talent to sing. And oh, uh, you know, I want to humbly be used of the Lord. Thanks for the warning, Hazel. We appreciate that. Nobody wants to hear anybody saying it that pushed her way up here. Now, I'm going to tell you something you don't know. You don't know this. But this fellow right here goes to my church, and you know they're good singers. And in the last week, in the last week, he said, Pastor, we need to have others sing. We don't, we get up too much. We ought to have others sing. And we do have some other good groups in our church. Same in Brother Steve, you know that. We don't have any better than the Eppleys, I'll tell you that. But constantly. And Bonita and Charity and Gabe and Sam, they're always glad to sit down and listen to somebody else sing. That's why God's using them. They're just being used to the Lord, but they're not pushing their way up. Did he call you, brother, and say, could I come up there and sing in your revival? I hear my pastor's going to be there. Could I? He never has. He's never called and asked for a meeting in his lifetime. And they are singers that travel and sing all the time. Nobody wants to hear somebody sing that pushed their way up. We want to hear somebody sing that somebody discovered has a pretty good voice and the pastor went to him and said, hey, would you, could you sing a solo for us? Me? Yeah, you. Well, Pastor, I, I don't think I'm all that good, but if I can be a help to somebody, fine. That's who we want to hear sing, right? And that who we want to hear? Of course it is. I'm just saying they want a position. They want to, they want to be over everybody instead of under people serving. Uh, you know, if you put them on the usher board, instead of doing what an usher's supposed to do, they're downstairs or outside or standing back there yapping during the preaching time when it's not their turn to be there. Something's wrong with you if you hate 
If you don't hate to be outside the church service when the preaching's going on, something's wrong. Something, if I get near a church and preaching's going on, Brother Steve, I want to be in there where it's going on. And I don't look for a back seat either, unless I have to. But I'm saying this. They want to establish a new criteria for spirituality other than soul winning. Yeah. Uh, you know, Pastor, there's some way I've never been much on the soul winning thing, but God uses me to sing. Well, Gertrude, what are you going to sing about? What are you going to sing? But, but, you know, Pastor, I've never been much on the soul winning thing, but God's called me to teach. What did He call you to teach? The Word of God. Well, what is the, what's the Great Commission? Go ye into all the world. And what are you? You're an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. And what are you? You are my witnesses. What in this world are you going to teach those children? What are you going to say to them? I mean, how are you going to teach without being a hypocrite if you're not a soul winner? If you don't try to bring other people to Christ? They, they want to establish a new criteria. Let me tell you something, preacher. Don't ever, you put your humble, tithing, faithful, meek, people in charge of things around here and you shall live happily ever after. Amen? But you know, you watch them. They want to get up on a ledge. They want to overlook everybody. Uh, they like fellowships over at their house. Yeah. They like fellowships. You have soul winning when? Saturday morning and Sunday afternoon. Then you have Wednesday. Uh, you have Thursday night service. Okay, I'll tell you what you do, fellas. Every week you pull your 40 to 60 hours. Then you have a date night every week. A night you take your wife out. One fella said I take her out every week, but she keeps finding her way back. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, every week you take your wife out. Let me tell you something. I ain't got time to get off on this. I got more to preach than I'm going to get to tonight. But if she was worth a Big Mac when you were dating her, she's worth a steak now. Say amen right there, ladies. That's the honest truth. But I'm saying this. I'm saying, uh, if you have a, a date night with your wife, and then you have a family night or two, be good if you had two with your family. I still believe in the home. And you have a family night or two with your family, and a date night with your wife, and then you go on, uh, you go uh, to Wednesday night service, and then you show up Saturday morning for soul winning, and maybe come back Saturday afternoon for soul winning, you ain't got time for no more fellowship. That's all the time you got. You go to work and you spend some time at home and spend some time with your family and take your wife out on a date each week and take your family out and spend some time with them and show up on Thursday night for midweek service and soul winning on Saturday and go to church on Sunday and you got your plate full, Hazel. I mean, you got your plate full. You don't need to do anything else. But you're going to have fellowships and people are going to, in the same little crowd, meet no at your house. You say, what are you doing? Oh, we're having prayer meeting. No, you're having gossip meeting. That's what you're doing. You're having gossip meeting. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Somebody said, well, you said it's a sin if we have a fellowship, and I, I did not. But you watch this, and you have the same little group meeting with the same person Sooner or later, trouble and gossip is going to come out. of. Whenever you're called to a certain meeting, you need to call the preacher and say, Preacher, do you know about this? What's going on over here? Do you know about this? That's what I'd do if I was you. 
I'm just saying they, they want to have fellowship. And, the, and God has called me to meet the needs of the church. No, He hasn't. God called the pastor to meet the needs of the church. God called you to go soul winning. God called you to, to work in the nursery and teach a class and run a bus and help. God didn't call you to be the need meter of the church. He called the pastor to be the need meter of the church. He called you to be a servant of God. But pastor, I want you to know people are hurting you. Well, it's amazing you found out all the hurting people and all the offended people and all the angry people and all the insulted people. It's amazing they did, isn't it? It's truly amazing. Now, you've got to watch that crowd. They love layups. Titus 1, 10 and 11, unruly and vain talkers, deceivers, whose mouth must be stopped, subverting whole houses, teaching things which they ought not. Jude 1.16, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. They love layups. Hey, mark them. Mark them that cause these divisions and offenses. Contrary to the doctrine, you, I believe I hear another wolf howling. I think we got another tree right now. I really do. And you know what we're going to do tonight? We're going to blow the whistle on the wolf. That's exactly what we're going to do. Number three. Wolves, all wolves want to be leaders of the pack. All wolves want to be leaders of the pack. You'll see a bunch of wolves trotting along at night and people who study. By the way, the man who recorded the wolf howls that you're listening to tonight spent almost a lifetime studying the nature and the habit of wolves in the wild. And they found out that there was a big old dog wolf out front. You'll think that he, everybody elected him to be the leader. They didn't. He fought his way up there. All of them want to be the leaders. 3 John 9 and 10, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, when I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with all malicious words. He loves to have the preeminence. You watch the people, pastor, when they come to church and they stand around before and after service, people polarize around them. They like that. People come to them. All leader, uh, wolves want to be leaders of the pack. You see, a wolf is inwardly bothered by scriptures like Hebrews 13, verse number 7, 17, and 27. Here's what it says. Let me read it, quote it to you. Remember them which have the rule over you, that's the pastor, who has spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. They hate verses like, Hebrews 13, 17, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, uh, for they watch for your souls as they must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. They hate those. They're like that crowd with Korah over there in number 16 and verse number 3. And listen to what the Bible says about them. Here's Korah and Abiram. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon yourselves, Moses, seeing all the congregations holy. You're not the only one that's holy around here. You're not the only one that's worthy around here. He never said he was. Every one of them, the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves. Why are you lifting up yourself? 
He didn't lift up himself. God lifted him up. This man's not exalting himself. The Lord has exalted him as pastor of this church. I said at the beginning of the sermon, he's not a pope. He's not a dictator. He don't get your prayers answered. He don't resolve your sin. And he don't come down there and personally run your house. He just preaches the Word of God to you. But God put him in this position. And if you've got an ounce of brains in your head and an ounce of spirituality about you, you will follow the man of God as long as he's preaching the Bible and following God. All wolves want to be leaders of the pack. Watch it now. Watch me now. It's going to get good. This is the good part. Pastor, I've been laying off to come to you so long. Here's a wolf now. I've been laying off to come to you so long. I should have been here a month ago. Before I... Watch me now. Watch me. Pastor, before I tell you what I came to tell you, I just want you to know how much I appreciate your ministry. What a blessing you've been to me and to my family. But pastor, here's the phrase. If you forget everything else I say tonight, remember this, pastor, people are coming to me. That's it right there. That's it. That's it. Watch for that phrase. People are coming to me. Watch me now and weigh every word I'm about to say. When you hear that phrase, you know you got a wolf. Let me tell you how I know that you know you've got a wolf. Pastor, I don't know who they are, but there's some people sitting here tonight that a critic never goes to. There's women and men in this congregation that somebody with a critical spirit never goes to, ever. They know better. And a wolf, watch me now, a wolf has radar control. A wolf can sense who will listen to his criticism or her criticism and who won't. And here's the, here's the kicker. If you have people always coming to you with criticism about him, you've got a problem whether you know it or not. I'm going to tell you something. How long have you been a member of my church, church, Steve? Four and a half years. In four and a half years, no one in that church has ever come to me with even an innuendo of doubt, suspicion, much less criticism, about that man, that woman, that boy, that boy, or that girl. They know better. They know better. It's not because I'm pastors, because I love them. I'm loyal. Pastor, people are coming to me. Now, you've got to understand what's happened here. Now, watch it now. It's very important. This person, as pious as they seem to be, is draw drawing great satisfaction out of the fact that these people did not come to you, Pastor. They came to me. So you see what they're saying in so many nasty little words is, I'm the one they came to. This makes me more important than you to them. This makes me the pastor, their pastor, their helper, their keeper, instead of you. Pastor, people are coming to me. Now, wait a minute. 
If you have any doubt, and I don't care who it is, I mean, I don't care if it's your best deacon, I don't care if it's your, one of your finest members that's been here for years, that's been loyal for years, but they come to you, people have been coming to me. If you have any doubt about them being a wolf, watch me now, watch me. There's one question. You shouldn't have any doubt. Remember me now. I came here and preached this sermon. The rest of you listen to me. I'm not pretty. I'm not talented. And this is not a great sermon. But this one sermon will keep this church from... Listen, this church will never fall from the outside. You're in downtown Milwaukee. I know that evil lurks everywhere. And the zoning board and the drunks and the robbers and the theft. and all. But this church will never fall from the outside. If she ever falls, she'll fall from the inside. But if you ever have a question, and you shouldn't, but if you ever do, you're going to ask them one simple question. People have been coming to me. What question are you going to ask them? Can you think? Why? Now, here's the question. Who are they? Who are they? And 90, 101 cases out of every 99, here's what they'll say. Oh, Pastor, I couldn't hurt good people. These people... These people have come to me in confidence. And, and Pastor, you know, they, they have confided in me. You see, they're still glorying in this thing that they didn't come to you, Pastor. They didn't even come to your wife. They came to my wife and they came to me. You got a wolf? You got a wolf? You got a wolf? And by the way, by the way, here's something else that we found out about wolves. We found out that there's... A group of wolves are, are trotting along, and there's a big old dog wolf out front. I mean, he's a 105-pounder. Right behind him is a little 60-pound female. And he is leading her. Watch me now. He is leading her, it seems. And then they've discovered something strange and unusual. As they're trotting through the woods... At night, they're watching them with these infrared cameras and light. As they're trotting through the woods, they'll come to a forks in the woods. Now, you, you folks that never deer hunted, you wouldn't see a blooming thing. But we that have deer hunted, you, you know what you can tell when there's a trail in the woods. And they come to a forks in the woods, and they say the strangest phenomenon, strangest thing. This big old dog wolf, he's out front, he's trotting along, this little female right behind him. He is constantly cutting his head to the right and to the left. He's watching her out of his peripheral vision. And when they come to a forks, commonly, here's what she'll do. He'll go straight, and she'll drop to the right and start down the fork going this way. She'll just go down this way. When he senses she's gone that way, he immediately breaks and jumps over in front of her and goes down the trail in front of her. In a little bit, they'll come to another forks in the road, and she'll break and go to the left. When she does, he'll just jump over in front of her again. And they found out something. It's not that big old dog wolf that's leading the pack. It's really that little female that's calling the shots. And the big dog wolf just has the image of the leader. But it's that little female that's actually calling the shots. Done told you something now, friend. I didn't ride in here on a load of pumpkins last night. I haven't spent 40 years sitting in Shoney's all over America talking to preachers that dealt with wolves and splits and destruction to come in here and not know anything. I just told you something, and whenever that big burly fellow gets up in the business meeting, well, Pastor, I just don't think I could in conscience vote on this. I just don't see why we would want to do this. Don't let him scare you. 
There's a little female at home about eight times out of ten, and she's the one that's upset over something. And she's got him as her little stool pigeon stuck up there. And he may sound big and tough, but he's not. She, oh, but not her. She's the one that says, I just thank God that I've got a husband that's such a leader. Don't let her fool you. Don't let her fool you. I know a few things. I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. I know a few things. Don't let her fool you. All wolves want to be leaders of the pack. All wolves want to... I, I hear another wolf howling. I, I believe we've got another tree, don't you, preacher? I really do. I hear a wolf howling right now. And I really think... I thought... I thunk that I heard a wolf howl. All right. We'll catch him next time around, all right? All wolves want to be leaders of the pack. Number four, watch this now. A wolf, watch me, a wolf will not let the pastor pastor the church. He'll interfere. You say, what do you mean? I mean this. Is this being taped? Okay. I won't call names. A pastor that you very well know stood in my pulpit. He said, I'm so thankful I got a church that will... Let me make some decisions without having to tell them the details so I hurt the church. And here's what he said. He said, I got up on a Wednesday night not long ago and said, folks, this is irregular, but I'd like to move tonight that we vote to drop the support of missionary so-and-so immediately. And I'd like to ask there be no discussion if the church could invest that confidence in me. People were stunned. It was one of their favorite missionaries. It was one of their best speaking missionaries. It was a missionary that, whose children were known by the congregation. People were stunned. You could feel the silence fall over the congregation. A deacon stood up in the back and said, Pastor, did I understand you correctly to say that we should drop the support of this missionary immediately and that uh, if possible you'd like no discussion, just trust you about this decision? without really discussing the reason. He said, yes, sir, that's exactly what I mean. He said, I make a motion, we do it. Another deacon second. It was a unanimous vote with no discussion. And then this godly pastor said, I'm so glad that my congregation didn't make me get up and speak of a missionary whom they emulated and knew well and had visited constantly the church and whose children and the man and his wife and all of them loved the church. I'm so glad they didn't make me get up and tell that that missionary had been messing with his own daughters. I'm so glad they didn't force me to say that and tear down the image of missions and tear down the, the confidence in God's people. I'm so glad they didn't force me to look in God's dear name. If you, if you spend $50,000 to remodel something, you get a vote and he gets a vote. And, you, and his vote don't count any more than your vote counts. But in God's name, why can't you trust him to make some regular decisions about this church that will help you and not hurt you? A wolf won't let the pastor pastor the church. I'm thinking, by the way, true story. Little 15-year-old girl got expecting in the church in a very prominent family. Stay with me now. And the parents came to the pastor broken. Oh, pastor, it's so awful. What are we going to do? She's expecting. And uh, he said, and he was broken too. I mean, a good family. Little old girl. 
more body than brain to do, know what to do with it. Brain bouncing around like a pea in a boxcar. Done got expecting. He said, I'll see if I can help. I'll see what I can do. Well, before he could get to her, along came Miss Wiggleshaw. Pastor, have you heard? He said, yes, ma'am, I've heard. I mean, have you heard about little so-and-so being expected? Yes, ma'am, I've heard. Oh, what are we going to do about it? He said, well, I'm, I'm trying to do something about it now. I'm trying to get to her. No, I don't mean that, Pastor. I mean, when are we going to church her? When are we going to vote her out of the church? He said, well, what I'd like to do first is see if we can help her. See if we can, see, maybe she'll get right with God and repent of her sins. Maybe she will confess her sins to God and give her. What we'd like to see it do is, first of all, keep her from murdering her little unborn baby, if we could. What we'd like to do first is see her get right with God. What we'd like to do is, her parents say she's on the verge of just quitting going out into sin now with this uh, whoever. And, and, and uh, he said, what we'd like to do is, first of all, help the little girl, if we could. I'd say that'd be a Christian attitude to have, wouldn't you? I just don't think it's right. I just don't think it's right, Pastor. Little 15-year-old girl running around here great with child and us doing nothing about it. I don't think it's right. And boy, she started making her rounds in the church among the ladies. And she was having herself a time till somebody leaned over and informed her that the father to the baby was her son. And she shut her flap. Suddenly she had a change of attitude. Suddenly she didn't want a pastor to kick him out in the alley and let him go to hell with the rest of them. Amen? I mean, suddenly she wanted somebody with some compassion and love to reach out and rescue the perishing. And I'm telling you, a wolf will not let the pastor... Pa Look, this is a true story. True story. I don't know who it was or where it was, but it was told to me as a true story. This pastor had a youth director, and he was going over about two months' worth of youth activities, and he was checking them off. He said, now on this Saturday, we're going to play softball. And on this Saturday, we're going horseback riding. And on this Saturday, we're going bowling. And on this Saturday, we're going over to Brother So-and-So's house, and we're going to be swimming. And on this Saturday, we're going to play softball again. And the pastor said, hold it. Wait a minute. Instead of going over to Brother So-and-So's house, um, <clears throat> why don't we um, play softball again? And the youth director raised his head up and said, uh, Pastor, it's Brother So-and-So that sings in the choir. He's got that big mansion of a house over here and that big, beautiful swimming pool. He said, I know. He said, but there's an eight-foot privacy fence around it. I mean, a, 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 a squirrel couldn't get through and besides that, Pastor, the, the girl, the boys are swimming in the morning. And then the girls are swimming in the afternoon. Uh, there won't be a girl within five miles of the place when the boys swim and vice versa. He said, I know, but... Uh, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me say something to all the teachers and deacons and workers and mainline people in this church. Look at me. Learn to catch your pastor's eye. Learn to catch his eye. Don't force him to say more than he needs to say. And you don't need to know why he don't feel led to do certain things. If you're loyal to God and you love the Lord and the church, trust your pastor and say, Pastor, when you sense he's not comfortable with something, you go the other way. 
you circumvent that. You get away. Don't you ever try to force an issue if you see he's not comfortable with it. And he said, but pastor, I, I, he said, why don't we just play softball? Now that young youth director had already gone too far. Then he made the fatal mistake. He shared that with his closest friend. And he said, boy, you know, I, I don't see, there's not a violation of any standard in the world. And I don't really see what's wrong with going over to Brother So-and-So's and swimming. And you know what happened. A bird of the wind carried it. And that assistant pastor's friend told somebody, and it got out. And it wasn't long until here's what people were saying. Well, I'm for standards, and I'm for convictions. But when you can't take a bunch of boys over and put them in an eight-foot privacy fence in a beautiful swimming pool of a guy that's singing in the choir and put the girls four hours later in the same place under the same private conditions, we're just going a little too far around here on this standard thing. And discord started against the pastor because he was too radical any standards. You see, what they didn't know was they didn't know the guy that invited them over there that sang in the choir. They didn't know he was a queer. See, they didn't know that. Never thought about that. They didn't know the reason he invited those little boys over there, some of them as young as 12 and 13, is so he could sit there and lust after them in their little bathing suits and sit there and have filthy thoughts and maybe kill them later. Who knows? And the pastor knew the guy was a funny boy, but he couldn't prove it, and he was getting his ducks together, he was getting his act together, he was building his case, and he needed a congregation that would leave him alone, and he needed a youth director that'd catch his eye and never repeat anything, and he could have tended to the matter. But no, a church split and left a good man that was doing nothing except trying to protect their little boys from a pervert. Let the pastor pastor the church. Leave him alone. <laughs> I don't know whether to tell this or not. <laughs> we, well, we pulled up today. Benita said to Steve, what we need to do is this. And Steve said, no. Pastor said, do this. This is what we're going to do. She said, oh. <laughs> she wouldn't out of line. Honest, she wouldn't. She wasn't bossy. She was just being sweet. But he said, no, we're going to do this. She said, oh. <laughs> we all chuckled. If you now, if you got a Twinkie, you can boss him. Some of you men ought to be ashamed. You're so henpecked, you have to roost on the bedpost of a night. Did you know that? That's the honest truth. I'm just saying. And, and, but I said, we're going to put a full-size cow. She said, you can't do that. That was my motivation. That idea would have died. Right? And she, listen, she'll tell you. I'll give you my telephone number. You call her tonight. She'll tell you, I wished a hundred times I'd have never said that to him. Because <laughs> she's had to live with it. And friend, I mean, it's something to live with. I about put my daughter's secretary in the grave over it every year. I mean, it's the most work. We spend thousands of dollars, but a total count of 3,700 counting our staff. About 3,000 actual people came to see the live animal play last year, and over 400 were saved. 704 saved the year before. On one weekend, hey, I rented a camel one time. Brought a stupid camel in there. Rented a camel for a couple of hundred dollars. Some people walk a mile for a camel. I rented one for $135. 
That's the last TV ad on cigarettes I ever saw right there. But I'm saying, look, a camel unloaded that crazy thing out there. I'm in, I'm in my little square downtown. That thing unloaded it, and four of my men on that thing riding that rope, and it's going in the air. They didn't tell me it was a wild animal. <laughs> Brought that thing in there, and he's doing like this. One of my women said, Preacher, you know what he's getting ready to do? I said, No, don't tell me. I don't want to hear it. I prayed, Oh, God, if you'll get me out of this, I'll never do this again. You better thank God I'm not your pastor. I cut a hole in the ceiling. And every year we bring a live flying angel right through the ceiling in fog and everything. Took a saw and cut the choir railing off. They readjusted the whole platform. And my people said, This loony, but we can't find any verses in the Bible against it. So let's go with it. Let's trust the preacher. They gave me a chance to be the pastor. That's why hundreds and hundreds of people come every Sunday at 215 South Marion Avenue in that little corn town of Washington, Iowa. That's why you let your pastor pastor this church. I'm telling you, if he starts drinking something of alcohol content other than cough syrup, get rid of him. If he pulls the name Baptist off the church and changes it into some swinging, swaying deal, get rid of him. If he starts speaking in some language he never heard, this is a Baptist church. Get rid of him. If he trades his wife off for two 20-year-olds, get rid of him. But until he does that, you don't have to get rid of him. If he does that last one, his wife will kill him for you. And uh, you don't have to. But listen, here's what I'm saying. <coughs> Say amen right there. But here's what I'm saying. Look, if he crosses the book and he's got out of line with the Bible, get rid of him. But until then, if he wants to spend $50,000 to put a pink elephant on top of this church, I'd say, I vote for it. Let him pastor the church. And a wolf only, I, I hear another wolf howling, maybe. Do I hear it? Oh, I do. Turn it up back there. Turn it up. I hear a wolf howling. That harmony, that discord, that lack of harmony. A wolf won't let the pastor pastor the church. Let the ref be the ref. You never went to a ball game in your life where your little boy is playing, but what if sometime during that game that ref made a dumb call against your boy? Say amen right there. But you know where you make your mistake? You make your mistake when you decide you're going to come down out of the stands and change it. There's where you make your mistake. And you're not going to like everything that man does. That man's not going to always make the decisions around him. He don't always make the decisions his wife likes. My wife didn't like that live animal Christmas play thing. But she didn't say no more about it. But I want to tell you something, friend. You say, until he crosses that book, I'm going to follow the man of God. Say amen right there. And we're, we're blowing the whistle on the wolf tonight. Wolves. Another thing about wolves, wolves live dangerous lives. Wolves, a lot of wolves get shot by shepherds. And a lot of wolves get killed. And the Bible says in Acts 20, 29, grievous wolves shall enter in. But in John 10, 7, it says the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. The good shepherd's Jesus, and he hates discord. These six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. He that soweth discord among the brethren... Wolves live dangerous lives, real dangerous lives. Dr. Bob Gray, Trinity Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, pulled that thing out of the Southern Baptist Convention years ago. And while he was trying to pull it out, he booked Dr. John R. Rice and Lee Robertson to come there and preach. And a deacon who was Southern Baptist by spirit, 
and doctrine in that church did not like it that John Rice had been invited to come to Trinity Baptist and preach. Because he didn't like what John Rice had been writing about the sword of the Lord and their corrupt universities in the sword of the Lord. So he went to Dr. Gray and said, Dr. Gray, did I understand that you were going to have John Rice preach here? He said, yes, I did. He said, no, you're not. No, you're not. Watch me now. He said, you're not going to have him preach here. He said, why is that? He said, John Rice, watch me now, is not preaching in this church. John Rice is not preaching in this church. And Dr. Gray said, I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to hurt your feelings, but God laid him on my heart, and I'm going to have him. And then he made the fatal mistake. This deacon pointed his finger at Dr. Gray and says, John R. Rice will preach in this church over my dead body. And that man had been a deacon in that church for years when the tires burnt the runway and Trinity Baptist uh, uh, of the Jacksonville airport, that man dropped dead with a heart attack. And the meeting was still going on when he had his funeral. And I was in that old church on Macduff Avenue years ago. And they came out of that church with that casket. And six men bore that deacon's body in a casket. And when they walked down that sidewalk, they walked right under that big sign that said Trinity Baptist Church. And the changeable message said this. This week, hear John R. Rice and Lee Robertson. And over his dead body was the name John R. Rice. I've got a dozen stories I could tell you tonight that scare the living fire out of you about opening your mouth about the man of God. I, I'm, I can give you the name of a pastor that I heard this happen to, so it was so spectacular, I called him on the phone. And I got him personally on the phone, and I said, I want to hear this story straight from you. He said, Brother Brown, I was preaching on a Wednesday night. Excuse me, I'm wrong. He said, I was preaching on a Sunday night. And he said, I was in my sermon, I was talking about tobacco defiling your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He said, you suck 19 different poisons down your esophagus every time that you smoke a cigarette. And boy, he, see, he, he had some cigarette butts in a, in a coffee can, and he hit them on the floor, and it spilt some uh, cigarette butts. And he says, oh, you're aghast. He said, you're aghast because I have defiled the, the temple. He said, you're aghast. Wait a minute. He said, this is not the temple. This church is not the temple. He said, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when he said that, a deacon stood up about where this man is right here. He said, Pastor, I want to say something. And this pastor told me, he said, it just, it just rattled my cage. He said, I'm a deacon in this church, and I've been a deacon in this church for years, and I smoke. And I don't see anything wrong with it. And if I saw anything wrong with it, I'd quit. And I just want you to know that I'm going to keep smoking. And he said, Al. I said, what did you do? He said, well, he said, it just, I tried to recover the service, but it was over. He said, it's just like you to turn the service off. Just like you to throw an ice water on everything. He said, it was a horrible feeling. And he said, we just gave the invitation, did the best we could, dismissed people. He said, I went home troubled, grieved, and confused. And he said, the next morning early, I got a telephone call from this man's wife. And he says, my husband just called me and asked you if you'd get a tape recorder and bring it to the hospital. He said, hospital? What's he doing there? She said, he will tell you when he gets there. And he wants you to bring a tape recorder. 
And this pastor told me himself, I'm talking to him on the telephone now, he told me himself, he said, I got a tape recorder, I rushed to the hospital and I walked in, and here's what this deacon said. He said, Pastor, he said, last night, when I stood up during your sermon and pointed my finger and said to you that I smoke and I'm going to keep on smoking, he said, when I sat down as clear as if I heard an audible voice from God, I heard these words, you just signed your death warrant. And he said, Pastor, I'm going to be dead here in just a few minutes. He had had an asthma attack. They were giving him some oxygen. And this pastor said, I said to him, Brother, you're not going to be dead. Look, you, you stunned me. I never got mad at you last night, but you confused me. And, I, and, and, and it stunned me. It shocked me. And he said, I'm not angry at you, but I appreciate your attitude. And I appreciate your repentance. And it'll be all right. You're, you're. He said, no, Pastor, look at me. God said to me last night, I, cro- I signed my death warrant. He said, I'm going to be dead here in a few minutes. And he said, I want you to turn that tape recorder on, and I want to tell the people this. And I want them to know why I died the death I did, and I want you to play this at my funeral. And they did record it right there, and they did play it at his funeral. His son got saved, and some other wonderful things happened. And the family requested that the tape go all over and be played as a warning to anybody else rising up against the man of God. But here's what happened. The pastor said, Brother, you're going to be all right. And he had prayer for him, and he walked out of the room. And when he did, he saw the man's doctor coming up the hall. He knew his doctor. And he said, Doc, could I speak to you? He said, this brother says he's going to be dead. He said, no, look, he's just had a little asthma attack. He came in here. We've given him some oxygen. He's already better. And here's what the doctor said. You people can believe that stuff if you want to. But he's going to be. And when he said that, the nurse come running out of the room and said, Doctor, doctor, please come quick. And the doctor ran down with the pastor. They walked in together. And the man was laying there in the bed. It already turned blue. Going, and he's dead in five minutes. Wolves live dangerous lives. I could tell you story. Listen, all four of the men who put Lester Roloff in jail are dead. Did you know that? All four of them are dead. And I'm going to tell you something. That man right there deals with the same problems and temptations that all the rest of you men do. And when he gets up of a morning, he puts his trousers on just like the rest of you men. But because of his position, because of the place God has put him, you better keep your mouth off of him. And you better be loyal to him. And if anybody starts criticizing him, you better shut him up. And you better go somewhere else. You better not be party to being disloyal to the man of God. Wolves live. I hear another wolf howling back there, I believe. I believe I near another wolf howling. Ah, you know what we're doing tonight? We're blowing a whistle on the wolf. Thank you. Wolves live dangerous lives. He's one of the best wolf howlers I've had in a long time. I'm taking him with me too when I leave. But anyway, the be- by the way, let me give you this, and I'll move to the last point here. I think this, i got two more points, and I'm done. I'm like a fat woman going through a barbed wire fence. Just two more points, and I'm done. <clears throat> Some of you don't even know what a barbed wire fence is, but anyway. Brian Andrews is my assistant pastor. You know Brian Andrews, Steve. Brian Andrews, my assistant pastor, he called me several months ago. He said, Brother Brown, i got to tell you, so i got something to add to your wolf sermon. I said, tell me. He said, I had a man in my church and said, little did I know. He said he had a car wreck. He was in bad shape. We didn't know whether he'd live or not. He said, I went to the hospital and I walked in. He's laying down in a semi-coma. And here's what he was saying. 
Brother Brown. Brother Brown. He said, I've been over him and said, Brother Larry Brown? He said, yes. He said, I had no idea he ever met you. But he had been in Crown Bible College in Powell, Tennessee. I preached this sermon in that Bible college. He was there and did not like what I preached and took issue with it. And he had been in a bad car wreck. And he said, Brother Brown, Brother Brown. And then he looked real wild-eyed and said, Huh? The wolves, the wolves, the wolves. And then he said, Brother Brown sure knows how to get his point across. No. Brother Brown does not know how to get his point across. The Holy Spirit knows how to get his across. The Holy Spirit knows how to get his point across. I'm just saying this. Wolves live dangerous lives. I move to the last couple of points and I'll be done. The best defense against wolves. Where they raise a lot of sheep up in sheep country, they also have a lot of wolves. What do you think the best defense against wolves are in sheep country? Tell me. Call it out. You'll be okay. Just give me something. What do you think? Best defense. A good sheepdog. And we ain't talking about a chihuahua either. We're talking about an old boy that comes out there. I mean, he weighs about 110 pounds. He's got one ear tore off. His lip is split out from a previous fight with about five wolves at one time. He killed three of them, ran the other two off. I mean, he's got a taste sticking up right here like this. Every time he takes a step, he goes... I won't come no closer to you. You'll be all right. I'm talking about a dog. I mean, his mama, his 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 mama was a hundred pound pit bulldog, and his daddy. He never met his daddy, but word was he was from a bad neighborhood. I'm talking about a dog. I'm talking about a dog. I'm talking about a wolf dog. The best defense against. John Rawlins a preacher one time years ago, and the pastor said, you picked a fat time to hold a revival meeting here. He said, why is that? He said, I got a little old assistant pastor going to get up tonight. He's a wolf, and he's going to talk about a bunch of things negative about me. Rawlins said, well, we'll just see how the service goes. <laughs> Sir, song service going, the is leading the singing, this little old assistant standing over here, little old peanut assistant. And... Uh, all of a sudden, Rawlins walked up behind him and went, mm. He said, young man, do you feel that? He said, yeah, what is that? He said, that's a live 45. And he said, you say one word about that, preacher. I'll blow your gut slam out the front of your stomach. You understand me, boy? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's one of the quietest, sweetest services you've ever Now, wait a minute. Don't pull your gun yet. Don't pull your gun yet. We're not ready for that. I was preaching this in uh, Springfield, Missouri. And I had a fellow, you probably would call his name. He's pastor now. He said, I was assistant pastor. And a fellow raised his finger against my preacher one time and started railing on my preacher. Said, I just tapped him. Said, come here, right quick. Said, we went around behind the building. Said, I reached and got him by the hair of his head. It was a brick wall there. Said, I went, brick, 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 brick. Blood running down his head. He said, I'll go to prison to tend to you if you ever open your mouth about my preacher again. Do you understand me, boy? Yes, sir. 
And he ain't never said nothing about him either. Dick Seaton preached for me. Dick said he pastored a church in California. He was the man that started pastor school. He was the man that went to the doctor's house to teach me how to do it. And Dick Seaton said, <laughs> Dick Seaton said I want this old boy to God. He's six foot four, weighed about 240 pounds. And he said he didn't know Job from Job or Psalms from Palm or Genesis from Generations or Revelation from Revolution. But he knew he was saved. And he said, I said, let's go soul winning. He said, soul whating? He said, soul winning. And he said, well, let's go. And he said, we went out. I don't know whether they wanted anybody to God or not, but it was the only way back to the church. And they stopped to see a church member they hadn't seen for three weeks. Faithful fellow hadn't seen him. Just disappeared. Watch me now. And he said, boy, it was cool at the door. And he invited me and said, I could tell her something wrong. Said, I went in and sat down. Said, as a pastor, I was talking to this fellow and said, well, brother, is there something wrong? He said, yes, preacher, there is something wrong. And he pointed that finger at the preacher and started in on him in a most vicious way. This pastor said, I never thought about my young convert until I felt the floor shake like an earthquake. And I, I, I felt this big belt of wind go by. And he said, before I could say sick him to a bulldog, said that big old brute had grabbed that fellow around the neck and said he had him down on the floor and he had beaten his head against the floor saying, don't you ever, don't you ever, don't you ever, don't you ever talk about my preacher like that again. Don't you ever, as long as you live. And he hadn't either. As a matter of fact, at last report, he'd never even had a bad thought about him. Now, wait a minute. Let me clarify something to get me out of trouble and your preacher out of trouble. Do not start pulling guns on people. Do not start beating people's heads against the floor. Do not take people by the hair of the head and beat their head against the side of the wall out here till blood runs down their head. You won't help my name, and you dead sure won't help the pastor too much. You'll get your picture and his picture in the paper, and it's not going to help you. See what I mean? Now watch me now. Stay here. Watch me. But i tell you what you can do. You can do what one young lady said to a little wolf that had gotten loose some years ago in my church. She didn't stay long because she didn't find much fertile ground. And one member of my church says, wait a minute. Are you talking about my pastor? Yeah. He said, well, I, I think silence, uh, silence is golden. No, it's not gold. It's just plain yeller. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. Bobby Robertson's my pastor. And, you, and I, if I was a member of this church and I had a man or woman or a little group, especially a man, that started on my preacher, you know what I'd do? If he was bad-mouthing my preacher, I'd get me about three or four men, about the size of that fellow sitting right there. And I'd meet him right out there on the parking lot after a Sunday morning service. I'd say, come here, I want to talk to you. And when he came over, I'd say, let me tell you something. We hear that you don't like our preacher. And we hear you've been criticizing him. Well, we want to inform you we love him. We thank God for him. And we want to make a suggestion that you get happy or get moving. And the next time we hear that you've been running our preacher down, we're going to come back to see you, and you ain't going to enjoy the meeting. Now, I wouldn't put up with it. 
I wouldn't let anybody take my preacher from me and take my church from me. And if you're not willing to stand up and fight for him, God will put him somewhere where a people are. Best defense against wolves is a good wolf dog. Boy, you'll hear them. Here's what they'll say, preacher, and I'm about done preaching. It's the last night. But besides, don't look at me because I'm after 9 o'clock. This is every bit as good as what you go, go home and watch on that television, television, smell of vision. Every bit as good. And then many of you will do what we're going to do tonight. Go out here and sit in some restaurant and feed our fat faces. Amen. That's right. Amen. That's right. And by the way, she is my friend. And you pick on me, I'm sicking her on you. Did you get that? Amen. So I'm just saying the best defense against war. And here's what to say. Uh, pastor, first, uh, pastor, uh, we're just not being fed. We're just not being fed. Strange. For years they were fed. Same preacher, same sermons, but, you, you know, and they're not being fed. First Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13 tells us why they're not being fed. Here's what it says. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Exalt your pastor. Have pastor appreciation day. Have pastor's wife appreciation day. Exalt your pastor. Love your pastor. Ex esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Now here's the truth. Don't miss this. This is the second most important thing I've said tonight. You will never get in spiritual food and feeding from your pastor any more than the degree to which you esteem him. The degree to which you appreciate and look up to him and esteem him, to that degree, no less, no more, will you get spiritual food and feeding from him. And if you allow anybody to de-evaluate him in your eyes, that is a satanic plot to do something you never thought about. It's a satanic plot to lower the amount of intake in feeding you can get from him. It's not a matter that he's not feeding. It's a matter you're not getting it. And you're not getting it because you don't esteem him like he used to. People that come in in love with the preacher and in love with God, man, they're growing leaps and bounds. And people that don't care for the preachers, dying spiritually. Best defense against wolves is a good wolf dog. And last, and I'm done, the best way to survive a wolf attack there's people in this room a shadow of people you one time were. You had a wolf attack. People you had confidence in. People you thought were great. And you heard them criticize the pastor. You heard them criticize the church. People that you looked up to. And you're only the shadow of the person you one time were. And it's because you were in no spiritual condition to survive a wolf attack. And you need to watch your spirit and watch your spirituality when a wolf gets loose and especially us preachers especially us pastor you got to watch your spirit you get wolf loose tearing up a church that you've given your life to build you better watch it ugly things will start happening on the inside you'll end up like one preacher i mean he and the deacons were going at it and finally the deacons got so ugly 
They came by one night and dumped a dead mule out in the parsonage yard. A dead mule. He woke up the next morning. Pastor did. He looked out. He knew who had put it there. He couldn't prove it, but he knew who had put it there. So he called this deacon up and says, Deacon Smith said, uh, Did you know you wouldn't believe, but somebody dumped a dead mule in the parsonage yard last night. And this deacon said rather cockily, Well, Pastor, you know, according to the Constitution, it's the pastor's job to take care of the dead. And the pastor says, yes, I know that. But I also read in the Constitution where we're to notify the nearest of kin first. Ooh. Now, the truth is, that's what I'd like to say. <laughs> well, wouldn't you love to say it? I mean, listen, we preachers that get up and skin, if we get in the wrong mode, we can mess people up bad. Oh, yeah, I'd like to unload on one now and then. But you can't do that. You've got you to gotta keep the Spirit of Christ. And, the, and listen, I'm saying the best defense, the best way to survive a wolf attack. Let me give you a couple of illustrations to close the sermon. Up in, sheep, in the wild mountain sheep country, those mountain sheep, there's wolves there. And those mountain sheep can, cannot outrun wolves. They, cannot, they don't have teeth to fight them. They don't have claws to, 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 teeth to bite them or claws to fight them. But they have one defense. They can't outrun them either. But they have one defense. When they sense that wolves are in the area, they, they do the strangest thing. They start around the mountain on those rocky cliffs. And every time they come around the mountain, they're a little higher. And you may have to watch an hour before they get back, but when they come around the mountain that second time, they're a little higher. They're walking those little narrow, rocky ledges. And those wolves can walk them too. And so the wolves began to trail them. But the sheep kept going higher. And the higher those sheep go, the thinner that air gets up there. And the thinner that air gets, the better those mountain sheep like it. And the least those wolves like it. Those wolves don't like at high altitude. So those mountain sheep were endowed by God Almighty with the wisdom to just keep going higher until they had reached the zone where the wolves could not come. I'm going to tell you how to survive a wolf attack. You need to go higher and higher and higher and higher. And higher. And some of you are not near high enough to survive a wolf attack. There are people, listen to this preacher, there are people under the sound of my voice that will not be in church five years from tonight. And more than one of them. And we know this, don't we? Because you're in no condition to survive a wolf attack. Let me close with this. Listen carefully. You don't know this year. I don't always put this last little piece on this sermon. But I'm going to tonight. You don't realize it, folks. But you're sitting on a gold mine here. In this preacher and his wife. Preachers like this don't grow on trees. If you lose this pastor tonight, and you came to me and said, Preacher, we'd like a preacher that will at least give a performance level to this man in his life, his demeanor, his preaching, his consistency, his spirituality, his wife. You ought to see some of the preacher's wife I've seen. I said to a man, well, I haven't met your wife yet. He said, yonder she comes. Down the aisle she came. 
a dress on too short, had enough chains wrapped around her to tie up a herd of bull elephants. I started to look, I looked at her and I started to look back and say, you have got to be kidding. You ought to see some of the Lulus I see around the country. You don't know it, but you're sitting on a gold mine. You're sitting on a gold mine. And let me tell you something. Jeremiah 3.15 says, I will give you pastors according to mine own heart, God said. And Second Chronicles 7.11, speaking of Solomon, it says, Because the Lord hath loved his people, he hath made thee king over them. I just have one thing to say to the Souls Harbor Baptist Church here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. God sure must have loved you a whole lot. God sure must have loved you a whole lot to give you a pastor like this pastor. And I'm going to tell you something. If I was you, I'd stand up for him. If I was you, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't let nobody run him down. And I'd get up on testimony night and say, I thank God for my preacher. I'd send him notes of appreciation. When I bought a shirt, me and I'd buy him one. I'd give him a raise. Thank God for that little Toyota. He's as tickled over that as you'd be a Rolls Royce. And that's all right. But as this church grows, I'd put him, not in a Rolls maybe, but I'd put him in a town car and pay for his gas. Say amen. I don't know what he makes. I don't know what he makes. I don't know where he gets his money, but I'm going to tell you something. Little by little, this church ought to say, it's time our preacher got a raise. Amen. I'm just simply saying, you're sitting on a gold mine. Love him. Be loyal to him. Pay him. Be loyal to his wife, love his family, and God will bless you. God will bless you. It seems like I hear a wolf howling tonight. And as long as you live, I pray that you'll never forget the night that the man of God came and he preached to you about the wolves. And when it was all over, he had blown the whistle on the wolf. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody looking around. That's the longest sermon I preach right there. And don't look at your watch. I've already looked at mine. Don't worry about it. You'll be all right. You go to a stupid ball game. It goes into a double overtime. You don't get out of the stadium until 10 o'clock and you're tickled to death about it. Well, what in the world? It's not even 9.30 yet. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody looking around. You've had a meeting all week. It was fitting that you stay a little longer on Friday night. Let's talk to God's people first. How many folks are sitting here and you say, Pastor Brown, tonight in this service, I've thought of times I could have stood up for the preacher, things that were said, and I should have rebuked people, or I should have kindly said, well, you know, I don't, I don't understand everything a pastor does, but I thank God we've got a preacher that loves the Lord, and I can, we can follow the man of God. Sure. And you think of times you could have encouraged him. By the way, when a wolf gets after him, you won't know it. He won't tell you. You never know the burdens that he bears at any given time. Encourage him. Hold his hands up. These Epleys right here, constantly, Brother Steve and his wife and his children constantly write me notes. Pastor, we want you to know we love you. We thank God for you. That don't make my head fat, but that encourages my lonely heart sometimes. I'm telling you, 
You're sitting on a gold mine here, folks, whether you realize it or not. I hope you realize it. How many of God's people are here? And maybe you're a member of another church and you think, boy, I could have been loyal. I could have been faithful. I could have done more. If, God, if you're here, members of visitors, God spoke to you, get your hands in the air. Hold it up. Hold it up. Yes, sir, God bless you. There's a dozen hands in the air all at one time. Men and women and visitors and members. And how about others? God bless you back there. I see those hands. Does somebody else hold them up high. Oh, at least 12, 15 or more all together have gone up. Yes, ma'am, God bless you. And over here, yes, sir, there's a man and here's a young lady. God bless you. How about it? Take your hands down. Someone else, slip up that hand right now. Just hold it up. When I see it, you can take it down. In just a moment, we're going to give an invitation. I hope every one of you that raised your hand will come to the altar. Some of you may want to say a word to the pastor. Now, you don't have to do that. You may just want to come pray. But don't come down here and tell him you're going to be loyal and then run around and listen to a bunch of junk about him or his family. If you're going to let somebody knife him in his back, at least don't come down here and tell him you're going to stand with him. Maybe you just want to come to the altar and pray. But before I close the invitation, let me ask you this. How many folks in this room, you say, Pastor Brown, if I died tonight, I know this for sure. I'd go to heaven. I've been saved. Every member, every visitor here is saved and knows you're saved. Children, older folks, middle-aged, moms and dads, teens, everybody. I'm saved and I know I'm saved. Get your hand there. Hold it up. Hold it up. Hold it up. Take your hands down. How many folks say, I couldn't in honesty raise my hand then, but I want to raise it now and say, pray for me. I don't know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. I wish I did. If you want to know for sure you're going to heaven when you die, just raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you. Wouldn't call your name. Don't know it anyway. You don't have to worry about it. But, but, but I'll pray for you if you just slip your hand up right now. Hold it up. Hold it up. I don't know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. Hold that hand up right now. Everywhere from the right to the left, there's one young lady. Somebody else, slip, it, slip up the hand right now. Just hold it up. Thank you, honey. I see your hand. You can take it down. Somebody else, slip up that hand right now. And when I see it, you can take it down. Just hold it up. Anywhere, anywhere, anyone else. Now, if you're here tonight and you'd like to be a member of a good old-fashioned Bible-preaching church where an enthusiastic preacher is solid on the rock, loves God, stays with the book, and would care about your soul, I invite you to come join this church tonight. If you've never been baptized by immersion in water, he will tell you how that can be arranged. And you come tonight. And I want all of these Christians that raise their hands to come. Don't look around and see if Sister Wigglejaw comes. You just come yourself. And get on the altar. And when you hear the music come in just a moment. Heavenly Father, work in this invitation. In Jesus' name, our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. When you hear the music, start standing to your feet. Make it easy for others to come right now. Will you come? Everyone stand, please. Will you come right now? Just That's right. God bless you. How about others? Will you come right now? Just slip out and come and kneel at the altar and talk to God. And say, by the grace of God, I'm going to stand with the man of God. As long as he's standing with the book of God and the God of the book, I'm standing with the man of God. Thank the Lord. Thank God. How about others? Will you come? Praise the Lord. Will you come?
thank God for these. Brother Pastor, you come and close the service as you see fit. Continue to play the instrument if you